0: Welcome to Diddy and Hawthorne in the In-Between, or DHI. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz, and you're listening to our podcast about the relevance of literature in the 21st century. Now bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello and welcome to our show. Today we are nesting back into the realm of literature after last week's digression on TTS systems to talk about the short story Good Country People by Flannery O'Connor. O'Connor is someone who I've been getting more and more into lately. I downloaded her 1955 book, A Good Man is Hard to Find, on my Kindle about a month ago. This is the book that this short story first appeared in, by the way, and I've been working my way slowly through it ever since, but she's definitely someone that I've had on the reading list in the back of my mind since high school, so I'm very excited to be getting to talk about some of her work today. There's a short biography, link in the description, O'Connor was born in Georgia in 1925, studied writing at the University of Iowa, and thereafter became a vocational writer. A light that you should have come on in your mind whenever O'Connor is mentioned is that she was most known for her short stories and is said to have been a major cultivator of the short story genre. She died in 1964. This short story is, in particular, quite short, it's about 16 to 20 pages. Unfortunately, the PDF that I originally found was taken down shortly before my posting this episode, but I'm sure you can find it online somewhere. And for the duration of this episode, I'm going to comment on the story chronologically as I'm reading through it, sort of like a candid reaction video, but without the long silences of me reading to myself alone. After reading the first few lines here, I already really like what O'Connor is getting up to as she introduces her main character, or one of them, Mrs. Freeman, and thereafter runs with the extended metaphor of describing the way Mrs. Freeman displays emotions as similar to, quote, the advance of a heavy truck, and uses the metaphor thereafter to describe, for example, how Mrs. Freeman's eyes, quote, never swerved to the left or right, but turned as the story turned, as if they followed a yellow line down the center of it. And what a cool way to introduce this character. This book was released in the 50s during the rise of the housewife motif in society, yet O'Connor determines to compare this woman from the outset to a heavy, unwavering truck Quickly after this aforementioned description, the short settles us into a routine between Mrs. Freeman and a new character, Mrs. Hopewell, in which the two women talk about Mrs. Freeman's two daughters, one of whom is pregnant, until Mrs. Hopewell's daughter, Joy, comes down to make breakfast. It was here on the second page that I first started to recognize the signs that the narrative was as much about race as it was about any other theme. The first hint was that Mrs. Freeman enters every morning from the kitchen door, which is a big signal in the South during this time. The second that Miss Hopewell refused to let them them being the Freemans go on account of their being good country people. The third reason that Mrs. Freeman speaks in a lovely southern dialect that While it doesn't necessarily secure her race, it does suggest her race, given the historical frame of the story. The Faulkner vibes, by the way, are up the wazoo. Moving on, the pacing of this short story is really interesting because of how quickly it alternates between subjects and themes. O'Connor's next move is to introduce a passage that I had read about before in my research about this text, in which Mrs. Hopewell begins for the first time to enumerate her favorite sayings, which have essentially become cliched platitudes in her life. An example is, quote, nothing is perfect. The article I read was saying that O'Connor's inclusion of this flat, or unornamented main character was a societal critique of women in this time period, but I'm not convinced at this point in the narrative that that is the case, and I'm not convinced at least from a retrospective viewpoint that uh, those platitudes are important in a large extent at all. Again shifting themes here, we come upon a comparison of Mrs. Hopewell and her daughter Joy, who only has one leg due to a hunting accident when she was a child. Mrs. Hopewell is divorced and frequently works in the fields, holding through with great patience in difficult situations like the decision to keep the Freemans on rather than hire a new tenant family, which is the habit of the time. Joy, on the other hand, is introduced to us as someone who is temperamental, impulsive, someone who legally changed her name to Holga, seemingly just for the contrast it would impose. Sandwiched in between these two figures is Mrs. Freeman, who has a self-preserving insidiousness that reminds me of the movie Parasite. There's a line that jumped out at me in regards to Mrs. Freeman's temperament, explaining that, quote, of diseases, she preferred the lingering or incurable. As the story develops further, we get more insight into both Joy Holga and Mrs. Freeman finding out that the bright Joy has taken a PhD in philosophy and would not be living back in the South if not for the weakening heart that limits her ability to teach. She instead reads books about contemporary philosophy that seem to Mrs. Hopewell to be evil somehow, probably because of their anti-religious tone. Mrs. Freeman, we learn, is in large part a nosy, busybody around the establishment, and while she establishes relationships with the other characters in the text, she has a lot of layers and a lot of complexity. And then something cool happens which is that midway through a morning conversation with mrs freeman and mrs hopewell the narration becomes a frame narration i myself am fairly fond of frame narrations i'm fairly taken anytime i encounter a frame narration which is something that authors in the victorian era often incorporated into their works weathering heights being the prime example and this frame narration is no exception O'Connor treats it sort of like a dream, almost in the way that Henry James treats his frame in the novel The Turn of the Screw by tactfully following Mrs. Hopewell's thoughts out of her conversation with Mrs. Freeman to recount a recent and puzzling episode involving Holga and a Bible salesman, and thereafter by jumping right back into the conversation, unaided by any transition material whatsoever. The effect, at the end, is like being shaken awake after being lulled to sleep only minutes before. Now we can get into what actually happened with the bible salesman, which is possible thanks to the omniscient third-person narration that can focus on the thoughts and circumstances of any character within the realm of the story. Interestingly, when we look back at the scene itself, what the bible salesman says to Holga is a joke, starting with, you ever ate a chicken that was two days old? Question mark Must have been mighty small. This is of the same sort of humor, actually, as something Holga's mother might say. The conversation continues with Holga as stony as ever, though for reasons we aren't sure about, perhaps because of Holga's lack of human interaction or because of the Bible salesman's charm, she agrees to meet with him the next day for a picnic. Throughout this whole process of Holga recounting their encounter, we get another insight into her, which is that all of this time alone with her philosophy books has made her susceptible to imagine some very strange things, to have some very strange inclinations. For example, that quote, she had seduced him and that quote, she took his remorse in hand and changed it into a deeper understanding of life. Olga does seem to seduce him, though, somehow, or he, her, and before long, things begin to romantically escalate on their picnic. But then, after admitting empty nothings to each other, the Bible salesman asks her to show him where her wooden leg joins to her real one. Here's a passage from the short. But she was as sensitive about the artificial leg as a peacock about its tail. No one ever touched it but her. She took care of it as someone else would his soul, in private and almost with her own eyes turned away. But she shows him the leg anyway, including how to remove it and put it on, allowing herself for the first time to be vulnerable in front of someone else, in front of this someone else who, by the way, is still all but a perfect stranger. And then he betrays her, revealing that though he's a Bible salesman, he isn't a Christian, as he had once said, and has in fact hollowed out one of the Bibles in his case for the purpose of storing alcohol and a sinister deck of cards. Before running off with the leg and toe, he explains that she was not as smart as she believed, clearly, and that she was not the first victim to have been duped by his cunning. The story ends thereafter with a last close-up of Mrs. Freeman, who says in response to one of Mrs. Hopewell's platitudes about humanity, quote, Some can't be that simple. I know I never could. I have so many thoughts after reading this last paragraph about the role of religion in the text and how religion is construed to have some equivalence to innocuity in this society. So the fact that the Bible salesman said he was a Christian meant that he was also safe for some reason, even though he was a stranger asking sketchy questions and being way too insistent about this leg thing, about what the age difference that the author constructs between the Bible salesman and Holger says, of anything, about O'Connor herself and about what Holga's disability and her secrecy around that disability seems to represent in her life, whether that be insecurity or privacy or a combination thereof. But I want to know what you all think about this short story. Was it a good one to have chosen for the show? Have you read anything else by Flannery O'Connor? And what do you think about the short story genre in general? Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you next Monday. If you enjoyed the discussion and would like to hear more from us, there is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website, relevanceofliterature.com, under the Ongoing Series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes. We also have a couple of open surveys that you can find through the links in the description, so if you have three minutes while you're waiting in line somewhere, we would very much appreciate your feedback on our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode, and we'll see you next time. Still there? One more thing, then. Remember that leaving a comment or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other guilty pleasure podcast platform helps leverage the show, so that other literature enthusiasts can find the community. In other words, it helps a ton. I'll feed a hoden.